Our scriptures comes from 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men, who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? They answered him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he disregarded the advice of the older men the older men gave him and consulted with the young men who he had grown up with and now attended him. He said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you should say to this people who spoke to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you must lighten it for us. Thus you should say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had said. Come to me again the third day. The king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice the older men had given him and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in honor of, of Holy Humor Sunday, I thought that we would start the sermon today with a really good joke. And then I remember that I don't know any really good jokes. And so I decided to go with an old joke. I decided to go with an, an ancient joke, a joke that has, has been around the block a few times. And, and here's what I need from you. As, as I'm telling this joke, you may realize that you've already heard it. Uh, or, or you may just decide you don't think it's funny. And, and so when we get to the end of the joke, there may, in fact, just be an awkward silence. Uh, and what, what I need from you in that moment is for you to get into the spirit of Holy Humor Sunday and give me the best laugh that you've got in that moment, all right? Because otherwise, this whole sermon is just going to get stuck right at that point. So, so can we do that together? Can we, can you, thank you. You got it. There we go. All right. Everybody put on your smile and get, get ready, get ready to give me, at the very least, just a little bit of a giggle. So the joke goes like this. Preacher Bob was a brand new Methodist pastor straight out of the seminary. He was appointed to a small church in a small town, and, and Preacher Bob had a hard time being the new pastor in town. All of the, the other pastors in town were, were grizzled old veteran pastors, and every time he got together with them, he was very much aware of his relative youth and, and inexperience. He so wanted to be respected by those older pastors. He just wanted to be, wanted to be one of the gang. 
And then one day, preacher Bob got a call. It was the Baptist pastor. The Baptist pastor said to him, uh, preacher Bob, the priest and I are going out fishing on Saturday. We want to know if you'd like to come. And preacher Bob said to himself, this is it. They, they've accepted me now. I'm one, of, I'm one of the guys. He said, absolutely, I would love to come out fishing with you on Saturday. And so early on Saturday morning, preacher Bob and the Baptist pastor and the Catholic priest all got in a little boat and they rowed out into the middle of the lake. They had a great time fishing all morning and then right around noon, the, the priest said, well, I suppose we ought to have lunch. And so he got out the bag of hot dogs that they'd brought out there for everybody to have for lunch. He passed out the hot dogs. Everybody got a hot dog. And it was at that point that they realized that they forgot to bring condiments with them. They, they left the condiments all the way back on the shore. Well, the, the priest looked at his hot dog and he said, I never eat a hot dog without ketchup on it. He said, I'll be right back. And then the priest stood up, stepped out of the boat, walked across the top of the water all the way to the shore, put the ketchup on the hot dog, walked back across the water, got back in the boat and sat down. Well, preacher Bob was flabbergasted. He couldn't believe what he had just seen. He turned to look at the Baptist pastor to see if the Baptist pastor was just as astonished as he was, but the Baptist pastor was not astonished at all. In fact, the Baptist pastor said, I think I'd like a little mustard on my dog. And then he stood up, stepped out of the boat, walked across the top of the water, put the mustard on the hot dog, walked back across the water, got back in the boat and sat down. And now, now preacher Bob was red-faced and discombobulated. He didn't know what to make of this. He couldn't understand what he had just seen. But, but then his pride rose up within him. And he said, hang on a second. He said, I, I may be young, but I am a Methodist pastor. He said, I have a degree from a Methodist seminary, and, and I have had hands laid on me by a, a Methodist bishop, and I have been ordained to preach the gospel. He said, I am not about to let my generation and my church be shown up by an old Baptist pastor and a gray-haired priest. And he said, I'm going to show them anything they can do, I can do too. And so he stood up. And in a loud voice, he said, I think I'd like to have a little relish on my hot dog. And then he stepped out of the boat and proceeded to fall straight into the water. And as he was flopping and sputtering like a fish, the, the pastor turned to the priest with a, a sort of a guilty expression on his face. And he said, well, Father, do you think we ought to tell him where the rocks are? Oh, you're kind. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you for that. That was way better than I was hoping for this morning. I have to tell you, I, I love that joke. I loved it when I was a boy, when I heard my pastor tell it in, in a sermon on a Sunday morning. I still love that joke. I think the reason that I love that joke so much is, is because like all of the best jokes, there's a sermon wrapped up inside of it. There's a message in the joke if, if you were listening carefully. And the message, of course, is, is very simply this. Before you try walking on water, you really ought to talk to the people who know where the rocks are. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks of this sermon series. We're going to be celebrating and giving thanks for the people in the church who have been around long enough to, to know where the rocks are. So this week we're starting a sermon series called Crown of, of Glory. The book of Proverbs says gray hair is a crown of glory. And so we're going to, for the next five weeks, we're going to celebrate in worship the, the gray-haired members of God's church family. We're going to give thanks for the, the old people in the church for the next five weeks. And, and I have to tell you, I want to be honest, I got corn 
cornered by a court streeter this week, somebody who had heard that we were going to have this, this sermon series, and, and one of our, our gray-haired court streeters backed me into a corner and said, what is this I hear about we're going to spend five weeks talking about old people in worship? She said, I don't think I like that idea. She said, I'm, I am one of those old people, and you better just be careful how you talk about the old people the next, the next few Sundays. And, and the thing is, I can't blame her for being suspicious, because the truth is, when, when we do talk about old people in the church, we don't always do it in an encouraging and a, a complimentary way, do we? And one of the things you know if you've been around churches for a while is that when we talk about old people, when we talk about gray-haired members of God's church family, usually we talk about them as, as a problem that needs to be solved. Every church I've ever served, including this church, the first thing that people said to me after I, I got to town was, well, preacher, we hope that you can find a way to get some younger people into the church because it's just so depressing to look around on Sunday morning and see all of that gray hair. And this attitude, this attitude that having gray hair in the church is a problem that we somehow need to solve, this isn't just something that we hear from, from the young people in the church. I guarantee you that by now I have said the words old people enough times in this sermon that somebody is already planning on cornering me somewhere out in the parlors after worship so that they can preach to me the sermon that goes, now, now Pastor, you know you really shouldn't call people old. You can call them seniors, you can call them elderly, but it's rude, it's just not polite to say say old people. People don't like to be, to be told that they're old. Now here's the thing, usually I try to respect that. I don't go around using labels that people don't like and, and trying to, to make people feel uncomfortable and insulted intentionally. You know, usually I try not to say the words old people. Sometimes I slip, but I really do try to avoid it. But for just this one time, for just this one Sunday morning, I want us to put all that off to the side and stop and think about the implications of that statement. It is rude to call somebody old. What does it say about us? What does it say about the culture that we live in, that in our society, it's, it's a compliment to call somebody youthful. It's a, a compliment to say that somebody seems young, but if you call somebody old, that's rude. That's not polite. That's an insult. What does that reveal about our attitudes towards people with gray hair? What does that reveal about our attitudes towards old age and aged people? What does that reveal to us about our attitudes towards seniors and the elderly? Our goal for the next five weeks is to learn how to have a different and a more godly conversation about the gray-haired members of God's church family. Our goal is that by the time we get to the end of this, this sermon series five weeks from now, we will look around the church and say, isn't it wonderful to have so much gray hair in our church? What a gift God has given us in all of the elders and the seniors of the church. That's the goal. Our goal at the end of this five weeks is for all of us to understand that the future of the church depends just as much on the gifts and wisdom and experience of our seniors as it does on, on the presence of our young people. And that's, that's the message of this morning's scripture reading. So in today's scripture reading, we have a, a story about a king named Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam's father was a king named Solomon. Maybe you learned about King Solomon in, in Sunday school. Those of you who learned about King Solomon in Sunday school, what's the one thing everybody remembers about King Solomon? What was King Solomon famous for? Does anybody know? Shout it out if you know it. What was he famous? He was famous for his wisdom, right? King Solomon was famous for being, for being the wisest king who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived, right? We remember King Solomon for his wisdom. That's what your Sunday school teacher told you. 
What your Sunday school teacher maybe didn't tell you is that King Solomon had an ego that was more than a match for his wisdom. He was also one of the most prideful people who ever lived, and often that pride got in the way of his wisdom and making good, good decisions. I'll give you an example. Just after Solomon became king, he decided that he wanted to build a temple for God. He said the God who saved the Israelites from slavery in the land of Egypt needs to have a nice house to live in. The the God who saved the people from slavery in the land of Egypt deserves to have a, a magnificent temple in which to live. And so Solomon crunched the numbers being wise and he wrote up plans and he realized, he realized that there was no way he was going to be able to make this magnificent temple happen if he paid his workers a decent wage. And so Solomon decided to do something that seemed shocking with with hindsight and even unwise. Solomon decided that he was going to use forced labor to build this temple. Think about that for a minute. Solomon decided that in order to build a house to honor the God who saved the people from slavery, he was going to enslave the people. And that's exactly what he did. Solomon rounded up people. He pressed them into labor. He especially brought people down from the north part of the country. Jerusalem was down, down in the south part of the country. He went up north and rounded up workers and brought them to the the southern part of the country and had them labor for seven years to build this magnificent temple. It took them seven years to build this incredible house for God. And after those seven years were up, when Solomon had his temple, what do you think he did? Do you think he said, all right, everybody, you did a good job. You can go home now. Of course not. He knew he had stumbled on a good thing. He said, let's just keep building. And so when they finished building a house for God, he said, I want you to build me a house now. Build me a palace. And so all of those enslaved workers spent 13 years building a palace for Solomon. I want you to stop for a minute and think about what it says about Solomon's ego, that he spent seven years building a house for God, and then he spent 13 years building a house for himself. This is why I say his pride was more, was more than a match for his wisdom. And when they had built the palace, they just kept right on going. He said, build walls, build terraces, build gardens, build fortresses. They built and they built and they built. And the longer they built and the more projects he gave them, the more the people came to resent King Solomon to the point where there were were coups and assassination attempts and and, and, and all sorts of plots floating around the kingdom. The kingdom itself was, was coming apart at the seams. And then King Solomon died and Rehoboam became king. And just after Rehoboam became king, a group of men came to see him. The the workers from up in the northern part of the country formed a sort of an ancient labor union. They got together and elected union reps, and they sent those union reps to see King Rehoboam. And this was the message that they brought to him. They said, King Rehoboam, we are so glad that God has made you king. Congratulations on being made king. We want to serve you. We want to be your loyal subjects. There's just one thing we ask of you. Your father Solomon treated us cruelly and harshly. He cracked the whip across our backs and made us labor from sun up to sundown. They said, just lighten the load on our shoulders a little and we will love you and we will honor you and we will serve you as king. Well, uh, Rehoboam listened to everything that they said, and, and then he said, give me three days to think about it. He sent them out of the throne room, and then he turned to his advisors. Now, Rehoboam had two, two groups of advisors. 
One of the groups of advisors he had inherited from his father Solomon. These were the the grizzled veteran advisors who who had been through thick and thin with King Solomon. They had spent 40 years trying to save King Solomon from his own ego. They had spent 40 years protecting the king from coups and assassination attempts and and plots. They could see that the kingdom was about to fall to pieces. And, And so Rehoboam asked them, what do you think I should do? And these grizzled senior veteran advisors, the people who knew where the rocks were, said to him, you have been given a golden opportunity. All that you have to do is show these people that you will be their servant and they will be your servants. All you have to do is show them that you are willing to serve them and they will serve you with a single gentle word. You can bring peace to the kingdom. And Rehoboam listened to what they had to say and he said, okay. He said, I'll think about that. And then he turned to his other group of advisors. Rehoboam's other other group of advisors were were young men. They were his college classmates. They were his fraternity brothers. They were his his drinking buddies. All of these these young advisors had Ivy League degrees fresh out of law school, and they were drunk with their newfound power, and they were eager to prove themselves. And Rehoboam said to them, what do you think I should do? And they said to him, Rehoboam, kings are not for serving. Kings are for ruling. Kings are meant to be served. You've got to establish who is boss in this relationship. You need to say to these people, if you think my father was harsh, wait until you get a load of me. You need to say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. You need to say to them, I'm going to make you work twice as hard as my father did. You need to say to them, my father cracked the whip across your back, but I am going to strike you with chains. Rehoboam listened to all of the advice that he had been given, and he took three days to think it over. At the end of those three days, the, the, the representatives of the labor union came back in to see him. And he said to them, I've made my decision. And then King Rehoboam decided that he was going to, as often happens, he was going to answer them harshly. His pride got the best of him. His desire to prove himself and his generation got the best of them. He, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to increase the burden on your shoulders. And these, these labor representatives, they said, okay. And then they walked out. And they didn't just walk out of the throne room. They walked out of the kingdom. Within the next few weeks, the entire northern part of the kingdom declared its independence and seceded from from Jerusalem and the rule of Judah. Within, Within the space of just a few weeks, Rehoboam's kingdom was reduced in territory and people by by 90%. The kingdom was split in two with a single foolish decision, with one harsh word from the mouth of the king. And the moral of the story, the moral of the story, the message is really not hard to see, is it? If you don't listen to the people who know where the rocks are, you're bound to end up getting all wet. Now, my prayer for Court Street Church is that we would, we would be a church that celebrates and gives thanks for the people who have been around long enough to know where the rocks are. My prayer for Court Street Church is that we would be a church that celebrates and gives thanks for the gray-haired people, for the seniors, for the elders of the church. My prayer is that we would always be a church that believes that every person has a gift to give, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what color the hair is on top of your head, as long long as there is breath in your body, every person has got a gift to give, and the world needs every one of those gifts. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom greater than Solomon's wisdom. Give us wisdom greater than Rehoboam's wisdom. God, give us wisdom to listen to the people who know where the rocks are, the people who have been around long enough to know that 
that harshness and cruelty gets us nowhere. That the only way forward is gentleness and compassion and love. God, we pray that this would be a place where all people feel valued and affirmed, no matter their age, no matter the color of their hair. God, we pray that this would be a place where your love is felt by all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.